Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh, frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny. And the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We appreciate you all listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave reviews. We always appreciate all of it. I am Amanda, and I'm joined, as always, by my indefatigable co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Please be sure to find us all on Twitter. Uh, you, can follow, you can find the show at Half Street High Heat, and all of our handles are there. Um, and you can check that out for the latest news and announcements. There's always fun things to be found on Twitter and on the website, halfstreethighheat.com. There's tons of good stuff out there right now. There's Nick's ranking of the MLB ballparks. There's our opponent preview for the Marlins. Um, interesting notes about recent starts for Nat seasons. Uh, a look at the the rotation. There's all kinds of good stuff. Make sure you guys are checking that out. There's really great content out there every day. And, uh, of course, check out the YouTube channel as well, The Rundown with Half Street High Heat. I'm sure there will be another uh, video going up there soon. I'm not exactly sure what the schedule is. We'll yep. have to ask Lester this OPG. weekend. John Lester this weekend and then Brad Hand the weekend after that. Fantastic. Looking forward to those. How are you guys doing? How was your weekend? Pretty good. I mean, didn't really do anything, but that's the way I like it. So, yeah. Mm, that does sound nice. We keep on moving on. I had a very busy weekend with work, so it wasn't very relaxing. And then last night, well, I went to bed last night and I woke up to find that an update had been forced to my phone that I'd been telling it not to do for like months. And I was super duper pissed off. And now a bunch of my crap is messed up. I hate phone updates with a passion. I mean, phone updates really aren't all that bad. Yeah, I hate them. Well, that's because you have an Android, so. 
I wouldn't hate them if I had an iPhone. I have yeah, because it doesn't change anything. It's just bug fixes. It's not just they change little tweaks. They make things look different. I hate it. Oh, so you you just hate change? I hate change. We know this. Is this news? I don't feel like. So even even if it's better, you hate it because it's change. Sometimes, and sometimes change is worse. I'm glad you admit it. Sometimes, sometimes change is worse. Change isn't good just because it's change. Some changes are good and some changes. But if it's literally fixing what's wrong with it currently, then it's good. No, it depends on fixing. Some people don't think things are broken and need fixing. I feel like we're not talking about phones anymore. (laughs) We're talking about the DH. I feel like we're talking about the DH. I mean, change is coming and you can either get on board or get left behind. Well, I'll get left behind. (laughs) Gladly. Anyways, let's go into our quick pitch. All right. So, oh, we didn't even say hi to Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, as I was say, it's pretty rude. You know, I'm calling in on my phone, even despite all the adversity I'm going through to record this episode. Never going to ask how I'm doing. How are you doing? <laughs> you, you sound like you're struggling through life a little bit. There's, yeah. there's technical difficulties. The course. adversity of Why, hating, I, like, hating apps on your phone. Yeah, that's real <laughs> adversity. Don't talk to me about adversity, okay? <laughs> What's what's yeah, the no. uh, the phobia of having apps on your phone? Someone needs to create. It's not that. having apps, it's a hassle. I wasn't going to download an app for one use. That's just that is stupid. And Zoom is the enemy, so I'm not doing that. I'm not supporting. That. I'm actually going to agree with you on this one. I was oh, bitching boy. about my phone update this morning, and my son was like, "Why don't you just what does he call it? There's some sort of app you can download that makes it so your screen always looks the same." And I was like, "I'm not going to download an app. That's such a pain in the ass." And he was like, "Seriously?" No, I I literally. I put, like, all my apps in, like, the new page that Apple added. So, like, I don't see the notifications, and I don't see my apps because I hate apps. All right. Look at that common ground. Kumbaya. Look at that common ground. Do you like tennis? <laughs> I do not tennis like guy now. I, I don't like tennis. <laughs> all what right, do you guys and... do to a soccer ball? <laughs> 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 oh, good Lord. Okay. Now we're going to move on to the quick bitch. Our quick pitch today is, does Max deserve to be the opening day starter, or should it be Strauss? Uh, just once. Just once, I wanted to be Strauss. Like, I would love it to be Strauss, especially after being the World Series MVP. Um, but I feel like Dave Martinez is kind of a beta, and he's absolutely terrified of Max Scherzer <laughs> killing him in his sleep, so he's never going to go against that. Actually, I think it should be Strauss, too. I, You know, he didn't get to, obviously, his season was not what he would have wanted last year. He, he didn't play, but he hasn't really gotten to ha- bask in the, the glory of the World Series MVP, and this is going to be the first time fans are back in the stadium, and I feel like it should have been Strauss. You realize uh, our good friend of the show, Matt Wyrick, best friend of the show, excuse me, um, he tweeted today, like, the uh, pitchers in Nats history to, you know, have the opening day start, that. and this would be Max's seventh, I believe. Sixth, because uh, I think the sixth so number was this, including this year. Gotcha. So this would be his sixth, so all but one. Strauss has four, which seems very high to me, because I feel like he's never had an opening day start. It feels like it's been Max since Max has been here. Which, like, I get to an extent, but, I mean, we were calling for this last year. Obviously, we didn't yeah. know the extent of Strauss's in- injury and, and stuff like that, but... I'm fine and with don't it. get me wrong, I love Max. I love Max Scherzer, but I just feel like this year it ought to be Strauss. I'm fine with it. I mean, there is an, op- or an opportunity. Oh, God. There is a chance this is uh, 
Max Scherzer's last opening day with the Nats. Mm, so, you know, if, if that's the way they want to go, it's not like it's a bad choice. And, you know, if you're talking about starting Corbin over Strauss, then, you know, then we might have a discussion. But, you know, it's still Max Scherzer. So there's some, you know, uh, weight yeah. to that opening day start. And he's sort of the elder statesman, certainly, of the rotation. So. Yeah. All right, Ryan, could you give us our weekend review? Yeah, um, I apologize again for the audio. I am currently on speakerphone right now because I had to put on my notes. My computer is very dead, and I'm going to have to go to Apple. We start off with the fact that we are only 10 days away from opening day. It is very exciting times, but the Rockies are still a trash organization. This last season, it was found out that the Rockies laid off all of their part-time and full-time clubhouse attendance. So to deal with this, they assigned 30 front office role people into a new rule called clubbies. These clubbies rules roles had them buying shoe shine, dealing with the equipment, washing clothes, buying chew, chewing tobacco, and running a lot of the other errands for the home and the away team clubhouses that clubhouse attendants did. The only issue was these people are also working their normal day jobs. So the Colorado Rockies had these poor staffers working from 9 a.m. to 3 a.m. on their normal jobs and then 3 a.m. to 2 a.m. seven days a week as clubbies. The Colorado Rockies are a horrible organization. We then move on to the other surprising news of the week is that Salvador Perez got a four-year, $82 million contract extension. It is still a mystery to this day how the White Sox managed to sign Yasmani Grandal for as cheap as they did. And then also, which I thought was pretty funny, but also shows how sad it is that the current state of what Major League Baseball has forced some minor leaguers to do. When the Cubs prospect Jesus Camargo was arrested in Colorado after having 1.2 pounds of Oxycontin and over 20 pounds of methamphetamines. You got to do what you got to do when you're only getting paid $400 a month by a multi-billion dollar business. Once again, opening day is 10 days away. And what better way to celebrate by going to Chili's and getting yourself some fantastic takeout. I had Chili's this last week. I was celebrating their birthday with some chips and queso. Me too. And I absolutely loved it. Oh, Nick knows what's up. Get yourself the Buffalo Ranch Sandwich. It is fantastic. This has and, been your week in review. And I, you missed an opportunity to plug the frozen strawberry margaritas. You always got to get those to go with your chips and queso. Okay, so the Rockies, um, it's almost like if they didn't give away Nolan Arenado with $50 million, they could have used some of that $50 million to pay their people. I, just a thought. I mean... Now, maybe that, that's too wild of a take, but seems kind of uh, back-ass words that, you know, they're literally forcing their employees either into unemployment or, like, you know, cheap, unfair labor, you know. Just just well, my two cents. Kind of like the minor leagues. <laughs> literally. I mean, that that's a whole different story. I am not surprised whatsoever by that story. I mean, there's... <laughs> You know that they got to live, and they can't do that off a of minor league salary. It's crazy. You can be a professional athlete and not make minimum wage when you really break it down, as far as far as you know, hours spent at your job. So, 
Yeah, it is a terrible story. And, uh, you know, you think that they would be so ashamed to do it of the condemnation that they would get that they would think twice about doing it, but that's clearly not true. I mean, again, like, you know, it, I'm not going to blame the minor leagues, uh, minor league system on, you know, this in one individual doing what he did, but you can't really make the argument on the flip side that, you know, the system of minor leaguers didn't have anything to do with this individual's, uh, you know, motivation to earn some extra money through illegal means. So, you know, it, it's, we, we've all known this to be a problem and hopefully with the CBA coming up next year, it gets addressed, but we have a long, long list of things to address that I'm sure the minor leagues are once again going to get put on the back burner, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen is there's a huge number of problems at the major league level that the players are going to focus on and they're only going to get so much out of the owners in one CBA. And what seems to always happen is that the minor league issues just get deprioritized. And I think that's probably what's going to happen again. Yeah, because even though the major leaguers are trying to, you know, pay it forward, so to speak, and trying to improve conditions for minor leaguers. There's just been so many more problems that have come up. Uh, I mean, not even just rule changes, but, you know, the owners and their money and the revenue and literally everything else within their own level, you know, the major league level, that they really have a lot to get to before they even can be in a position position to address the minor leagues unfortunately so ideally it all gets done but i think we all know better at this point yeah although i think there's a way to address a huge chunk of the issue that wouldn't involve the cba which is for well it's yeah well from your lips to god's ears but i think it's to it's for congress to remove the exception that baseball has for having to pay minimum wage like the amount of hours they just they have these special you know set asides where they get to do things that no other employer would be allowed to do and congress can remedy that anytime they want to and that's the answer to me because that can happen completely it's completely aside from the cba i mean if we're talking about a laundry list of things to accomplish before you get to another thing i think congress has a lot they do have other things but it's not like they can't it's not like this oh, can't happen while they're doing not, other things you know you're not wrong but you know it, it's a stretch to you know believe that major league baseball will get sorted out let alone that congress will step in and, and intervene and make things right so and do a damn thing right <laughs> basically all right well that was kind of a tangent we hadn't planned on getting off on but yeah that that's a situation that doesn't get enough attention and probably will continue to not get enough attention All right, let's move on to do our fair or foul we're going to do this week. Um, First one, fair or foul, the Nats get a deal done with Turner before the end of the 2021 season. And if so, what does the deal look like? Um, I'm going to say foul. I think Trey and his agency are going to wait until after this season. I believe that they are going to want to see how this shortstop market plays out in free agency because that does impact him. So I think they would be, one, smart to do that. Um, and I just don't really have any, like, faith in that can get it done. I know Heyman tweeted out twice that the Nats are aggressive for it, but we've heard that many times. So I don't think a deal gets done before this season. I think Trey waits to see what happens. I agree. Um, you know, we've, we've seen it with 
basically anyone. I don't know of many people that have continued negotiations into the season. Usually if they are talking extensions with their current team, they usually provide a deadline of opening day because they want to focus on the season. You can only imagine how, you know, distracting a contract negotiation can be because, you know, we, we hear the horror stories of arbitration and, you know, Dellen Batances is always going to be the, the example I use with all the, the negative things the Yankees said about him. Um, and he's not the only one, trust me, but I'm sure there's negotiations similar to that in, you know, a, an extension talk, let alone arbitration. So, you know, a lot of these players want to not focus on that when in the season, because obviously what gets them paid is their production on the field. So if they're not focused on their, you know, on, on field play, then they're only hurting themselves and costing themselves dollars. So I don't think it gets done maybe next off season because Trey has an additional year left after, you know, a bunch of these big name shortstops hit the market. So I agree with Ryan. Uh, I think it's in their best interest, Trey and his agency to uh, wait out the shortstop market. So that way they can get a, a good idea of a dollar amount, because I don't think story Correa, all those other guys, I don't think they're going to get underpaid. If anything, they'll get overpaid. So that only helps Trey in his uh, negotiation and leverage. All right. Next one, fair or foul. Barring injuries, Robles will play well enough to keep the leadoff job all season. <clears throat> um, I'm going to go with foul. Even though like he's actually looked pretty good in the leadoff spot this, off, uh, this spring training, which is, I feel like, been really not only encouraging but also surprising his offensive numbers been fantastic i'm gonna go foul um i think trey is back in the leadoff spot by june uh i tend to agree like i think i'm i'm still not optimistic on robles i think him having a good spring is a good sign don't get me wrong but i think it has brought everyone's expectations back up to you know those probably two high levels that they had of him when, you know, he was first coming up. Um, so I think he'll be fine, but Ryan, you know, made a great point on Twitter this week for those who didn't see Trey is, we've talked about Robles leading off and the possible benefits, but we haven't really talked about the flip side of that coin and Trey hitting third, which really minimizes his skill set. And Ryan can go into that because I don't want to steal his thunder, but you know, Trey is better off leading off or hitting second because, you know, a couple of years ago when Trey was really struggling hitting leadoff, he still got the opportunities to do so because his skill set lent itself to a leadoff hitter, mainly his speed. Even though he wasn't getting on base at a great clip and he was swinging at terrible pitches, similar to what we've seen Robles do in, in his time. It's his skill set lends itself and not that Robles is doesn't, but you know, this is the problem the Nats ran into when they didn't sign a big right-handed bat. So now you're forced to drop down Trey, who's a more established hitter than Robles. Cause if Robles was showing more pop, Robles would probably hit, be hitting third, believe it or not. And Trey would be hitting or lead off. But, you know, I, I think unless we see a dramatic, you know, falter, of Robles that it's going to, this is pretty much going to be it going forward, but I can see situations where uh, Trey regain, retains the uh, leadoff spot. 
Would you rather see Trey hitting second if Robles is hitting leadoff? Yeah, because, I mean... Trey should not... Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Trey should not hit lower than second. So you'd rather see Soto down hitting hitting third? Yes. Like, it's... Yeah, like, because... Here's the thing. Trey's most... As Nick was saying, Trey's most valuable asset is his speed. We've seen Trey numerous times throughout his career. He will reach for a ball that's well out of the zone and chop at the third and beats it out. That's Trey's most valuable asset, and that's what makes him so frustrating and annoying to other teams is because he's on first, and next thing you know, two pitches later, he's standing on second. You bat him third, you completely take that away. Someone who leads off over the course of 162 games of the season, they have 120.5 stolen base opportunities. You bat third, that number drops all the way to 80. And that is the lowest in the lineup. You also, your expected number of stolen bases drops by 20 from first to third. That can't happen with Trey. The numbers from first to second are nearly identical. So if Trey's batting second, his speed is still in play, and he's still going to have a good number of stolen base opportunities, you put him third, his, that, that's completely gone. You're eliminating his most impactful tool, and you're taking away a 40-plus stolen base guy who truly is a game-changer at the top of the lineup, and it's gone to overcompensate for you not getting that bat that you desperately need. Yeah, and that's the question because that's the conundrum, really, is if you bat him second and Soto behind him, then you're in the same boat where you don't really have any reliable protection for Soto in the lineup. Yeah, but... Well, I- here's the thing. Go ahead, Ryan. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's batting behind Soto. Soto's going to get walked a buck ton of times. It doesn't matter if it's Trey. It doesn't matter if it's Josh Bell. Even if they're both setting the world on fire, no one's going to pitch to Juan Soto. He is going to get walked a ton this year, so it truly does not matter. And Josh Bell lighting the world on fire, hitting 30-plus home runs, is going to be better protection than Trey Turner at the top of this game. Yeah, that's just what I was going to say. Like, Juan Soto, you, there's not much protection you can have for Juan Soto, mainly because Juan Soto is just one of the best players in the game. It's just, you know, Rendon was a top 10 player in his own right, so you had to pitch to one of them. You can't just give two free bases away. It's tough to even give one free base away if you walk Soto. But Trey is very good, but he's not there yet. I don't think, you know, pitchers are – as of certainly not afraid as Trey of Trey as Soto, but as Ryan said, a lot of Trey's damage comes from those you know weak ground balls that he beats out, those bunts um, and, and all that stuff. So we haven't seen a huge sample size of Trey with runners on base because he has been a leadoff guy. So if pitchers find a way to pitch to Trey because he's not able to, you know lay down a bunt with a runner on first and second or whatever or second and try to beat it out, whatever the situation may be. And they're more defensively aligned for, you know, runners on base and not trying to protect against a bunt for a hit, you know, that drastically changes what Trey is able to do. And I'm not saying like he can't handle it, but you're literally, you know, diminishing one of your best players, you know, strongest attribute by, you know, failing to do your job and that, you know, as Ryan and I have both said, was to add a big impact right-handed bat that we've been missing ever since Rendon left. So it's just annoying that you're creating another hole because you fail to fill that first hole. Yeah, well, I guess all we can do is hope that 
Bell or Schwarber provides some kind of some kind of protection that they come back to some kind of that best form that we've seen from them in the past. But Bell that's a lot good. of ifs. Bell looks very, very good. I love him. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for the season. I do think they made a lot of interesting and, and good signings. I just don't know if it's enough. But I guess we're about to find out in 10 days. We will. We'll start to find out anyway. Okay, fair or foul? Soda will win the Triple Crown in 2021. Foul. Um, foul. Yeah, it's gonna be, be, no. he's not going to be anywhere close to RBIs. Okay. Yeah, it'll be like, and also average. That's The average he hit last year is not the hitter he is. He's going to have a high arm. Um, base percentage and high slugging in his career, but I think he's going to be more of a 290 type of hitter, not well into the 300s. Agreed. Fair enough. Like, he, he'll be great, don't get me wrong, but... Triple you know, crown is a special kind of great. There's a, there's <laughs> a reason only a handful of people have done it. For, for sure. Okay, fair or foul, Carter Keboom will be playing in AAA before the All-Star break. Uh, fair. He won't make it till June. I, I yeah. agree. Uh, I agree, it, too. He's... There's going to be a time where a move, it, it just forces their hand. That's the word I'm looking for. It it forces their hand that they have to, you know, send him down because he's just not providing anything. He looks and And, and Carter, I, I know you're listening to this, Carter, so I really want you to prove me wrong. So on the All-Star break, I could talk about how you're an All-Star and not being sent down. Triple and nine. Ryan also said he would do heroin for any glimpse oh. <laughs> of, you know, potential in you. So if you need that to happen, Ryan's your guy. He will help you. I will literally become addicted to heroin for you to have talent. <laughs> wow. That's dedication. That is, if anybody ever says Ryan is not a real fan, that is that, that quote right there will tell you. Exactly. All right, one more. Fair or foul, Jan Gomes will have his best season for the Nats since his arrival in D.C. Fair. Um, I've always been on the Jan Gomes train. I am the reason why people actually started to like him before the 2019 run. So I'm all in on Jan Gomes. I'm saying fair. Best season as a Nat, you said? Yes. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with that. I'll say fair. Um, mainly because the bar isn't extremely high right now. But <laughs> That's exactly what my answer would be. Well, yes, but that's not... He's, he's also going to get more opportunity because they don't have a true platoon partner. I mean, who's the backup mm-hmm. catcher right now? Avila. Oh, oh, God, I forgot about Avila. All right, I take that back a little bit, but I still think he's shown enough improvement and he's gotten enough familiarity that uh, he'll he'll bounce back a little bit this year. Yeah, I'm expecting him to have a better year. Although, I again, since he's been here, he's he's not been awful, but he just hasn't been remarkable, I guess. Yeah. Like, there's nothing. The bar was the floor, and he was higher than the bar, but not, you know, where we would have liked. Like, like knee high. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, before we start talking Mets, because this is our Mets opponent preview episode, Nick, could you bring us a word from our sponsor? Absolutely. Fellas, doing it again. You know I have to. We talk twice a week now, and I'm trying to help you help me help you. You got to go to Manscaped and check out their crazy amount of amazing products they have from the Lawnmower 3.0, which was, you know, the most revolutionary product in men's grooming when it first launched. Now they're three editions later and there is not anything like it on the market. It is top of the line and it can be yours for a discounted rate, 20% off and free shipping. Go to manscaped.com. Use our promo code HSHH20. To get the lawnmower 3.0 
for 20% off and free shipping, like I said. And you can check out their refined cologne, smell nice. They're a ball deodorant and ball toner. They have, you know, stuff for your feet too, because your feet get sweaty. You know, it's getting warmer. I might not feel like it right now, but it is getting warmer. So you got to take care of yourself. You don't want, you know, swamp ass and all that stuff. Take care of yourself. Half Street High Heat is trying to help you out. So is Manscaped. So please go check that out today. That is good advice. All right. So um, we are gonna, we have an interview for you guys. I wasn't on that one. So um, I'm so sorry. I'm just laughing at the fact that Nick just said swamp ass. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty glad I was muted. All the best joking. podcasts talk about swamp ass. That's, that's, that's. <laughs> but yes. So this week. This episode, we have our Mets preview, and later this week, we're going to be talking about the Phillies where we have more interviews, but this time, we sat down with Meek Phil. He is a, he is a Mets fan. It was a pretty good interview. Um, it was a more relaxed type of interview that we had, but it was pretty good to hear his take on some of the drama that happened this offseason, as well as some of the challenges that the Mets are facing, some of their injury issues as well, and how Mets fans up in Queens are viewing the Nationals. And Nick and I sat down with him, and we hope you guys enjoyed. What's up, everyone? I think you listened to our Mets episode of Division Previews. We are joined by Phil, best Mets fan there is. You can find him on Twitter at MeekPhil underscore. Um, Phil, how you doing, my man? Uh, doing good. Watching basketball today. I couldn't watch uh, the Washington Nationals versus the Mets because Madison doesn't want me to watch baseball. <laughs> so I'll put that out there. <laughs> I mean, Madison sucks. <laughs> like we, I think that's a pretty well-known thing at this point that Madison is terrible. <laughs> yeah. So just diving on in, it was a it was a pretty exciting offseason for the Mets. Uh, the Wilpons are finally out. And walks the new owner. There was some drama with that. There's some pretty high expectations this some offseason. Like, <laughs> 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 well, you know, GameStop. Gotta love it. Um, but there was talks of getting Springer, Rio Muto, and Bauer. But the Mets still had a pretty good offseason. They acquired Lindor and Carlos Crasco, and they got James McCann. What is your view of the Mets offseason, and do you think that puts them up there with the Braves for continuing with the division? To me, I don't think the offseason really finished until they extend Lindor, which I expect expect him to be extended maybe whenever this episode drops sometime this week. But Lindor has to get paid like 300-plus million, whatever. I don't care, Norford being A-plus offseason. Without him being extended right now, I'd put it like a B-plus because – I was okay with them missing out on, on uh, big three free agents. I mean, I, the only one I was really pissed about was Springer, but without the DH, it makes things complicated there. I was fine picking McCann over Real Muto, and I just want no part of Trevor Bauer ever on my team. That's uh, something I'm perfectly com- comfortable with. But overall, I think it's a B-plus offseason, player acquisition-wise. Um, I like the depth that they added outside of the – the Lindor trade, like Joey Lucchese, the last move the the late Jared Porter made. So <laughs> the late Jared Porter, <laughs> the late Jared Porter, he could be dead for all I know. <laughs> so yeah, Lucchese's Lucchese's a good depth piece. He's probably gonna open the year as our five starter because Carrasco's gonna be out a month or so. 
But overall, I think they did enough this offseason to put themselves, if not over the Braves, at least puts them in the conversation to have, like, say, 93-ish wins to where, like, they can compete with them. So were you, you know, anti-Bauer from the jump or anti-Bauer once you saw, like, how his, you know, offseason unfolded with his stupid vlogs and, like, dragging it out and messaging or uh, mentioning every single team on Twitter? You know, back in, like, October, I was thinking, it's like, you know, if they get him, I won't care. But then as the offseason, like, grown out, I was like, I don't want this guy on my team at all. So that's really how it was. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how we were, too, because when, you know, he was speaking out against the commissioner and stuff like that, we were all like, all right, he's, you know, doing what a lot of people haven't done for whatever reason. You know, if you look at the Nats, you have... Before Juan Soto got there, I mean, there was Bryce Harper, but outside of that, you know, there wasn't any personality, and I think that's what a lot of teams go through. There's no personality or character whatsoever, at least that we see, you know, as fans. Mm -hmm. So Bauer doing that publicly was, you know, a breath of fresh air, but then, you know, he took it way too far with whatever, you know, LeBron James decision type thing he had, he tried to do this offseason, which ended up being not even all that great because everyone knew it was pretty much going to be the Mets and Dodgers at the end yeah. for the most part. Anyways, do you feel any sort uh, type of way um, based on, you know, him basically spurning the Mets? Uh, it makes me like Taiwan Walker even more after, <laughs> after every uh, tweet he does basically. Yeah. But um. yeah, I mean, I, I hope I like, they put a Dodgers in August. I think I hope by then New York is like, somewhat capacity to the point where they let more fans in so and maybe he pitches we could boot boot the heck out of him but uh yeah yeah, it it adds fuel to the fire what he did and i also do buy a conspiracy that he leaked to bob his team leaked to bob nightingale there was a deal done because he knows bob nightingale is a troll so (laughs) i mean a little conspiracy of mine we it's definitely no surprise that especially like scott boars uses John Heyman as his puppet. So it's not like that big of a stretch to say, you know, Trevor Bauer used Bob Nightingale or so-and-so used this reporter. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. That's just part of the negotiation. So he definitely, he definitely pulled something like that. Yeah. Speaking of um, my bad, bro. Now, the other part of that negotiations was like reportedly Sandy Alderson's never gotten that deep into negotiations with a player without having a deal done. So it also just adds more like bad blood. It's like, oh, he probably never wanted to come here. He just used us as leverage. Probably, yeah. Yep. And then he tried to backtrack and say like it wasn't, you know, he didn't mean to. He definitely did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, speaking of bad reporters, John Heyman was at the Nats Mets game today, and the picture <laughs> of him on the sideline taking a picture of Lindor was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. But he was reporting news that the Mets would be willing to go north of $300 million for Lindor. Um, I believe he copied that report from someone earlier in the week. But the New York Post is saying that uh, Conforto can get $200 million. Is that, like, is that realistic? Am I the only one who thinks that's kind of Michael like, Conforto? I, yeah, like, I, I get I, Lindor getting that much money, but Conforto getting $200 million? I'll put it this way. Conforto's a Boris client, and we know those guys will always get somewhat overpaid aka eric hosmer so yeah. i i wouldn't be surprised if that's what he wants and he if he has a, a good walk here he might as well end up getting it i mean I'm, it's not surprising i just don't think he'll get that extension wise 
That's I think a, that's nuts. Yeah, that that's absurd. <laughs> I mean, obviously we're we don't watch every Mets game, but he, like he's a good player. Don't get me wrong, but. 200 million for him seems like i mean go ahead and do it for, for all i yeah. can. <laughs> that, that only yeah. you know helps the nats case for uh you know the money they don't spend yeah just make believe money it doesn't matter to us this is true this is true so and then yeah. another thing oh sorry go ahead no, i was gonna say it doesn't uh i don't think he's likely to get extended because of the whole boris client dynamic that's wanted to say that yeah, that's interesting because we had a unique situation with Strasburg because he went to Boris and said, you know, I want to stay here. And then that's when he got his first extension. And then even when he opted out and hit free agency, he's mainly just getting, you know, free dinners. Um, like that's basically the way he put it when he was meeting with like the Yankees and stuff like that. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I mean, we haven't had our best, uh, you know, we, we've signed Boris clients, but we've never extended them outside of Strasbourg, yeah. but he was an exception because you, you look at Boris clients across the league and no one ever, ever extends. No, in Strasbourg's case, he also had the arm issues too, so he wanted to have some kind of like security, release, like extension, yeah. Right, yeah. So th- that's a good point, but I'm all for the Mets giving him four to 200 million. <laughs> Give him 300 million. <laughs> no, I don't care. It's not my money. Yep. <laughs> um, and as always, the Mets rotation is probably going to be their strength. Um, Stroman's back this year, but no Syndergaard hit the, I think it was a 60 day DL basically. At yeah. The beginning. He's, he's not coming back till June. Yeah. That's what, that's what I, was, I thought he was going to be out for at least till the summer. Um, mm-hmm. Who is going to be in his spot until then, especially with Carrasco potentially out. You think there's going to go more opener or. So to my knowledge, the first three games are going to be DeGrom and then some order between Stroman and Taiwan Walker. And then four and five is going to – four is David Peterson, and fifth they might use an opener with Joey Lucchese, but I have no idea if they do go that route. And if they do go an opener route, maybe they use like a Robert Gazelman type to open out games. And I don't know. It's it's stuff for them to work on with the spreadsheets. I, I, <laughs> um, I just know how, especially with – elbows are like i feel like Syndergaard should be so legit but he kind of reminds me of strauss in a way where he always has different injury like strauss mm-hmm. should be so much better than he is and he have all of his injuries as well so i like seeing the little similarities between the two yeah and in the same way they never both of them in a way hasn't really completely put it together yet like Obviously, Strasburg won World Series MVP, but you can you can honestly say he hasn't like performed like his best I, like I actual season. For sure, it's weird to see like how you know the Mets and Nats are kind of two sides of the same coin in a couple ways. I think Strasburg and you know he's not a Met anymore, but Matt Harvey is was is always going to be one of the big ones based on you know their injury history and mm-hmm. what the Mets did in 2015 versus what the Nats. It took the Nats much longer, but what they did in 2019 with Strasburg being a huge part of that, um, you know, so with the Mets and honestly, you know, their rotation is really good, but it always kind of has been, at least since they've been competitive the past mm-hmm. few years. Um, but it just hasn't really come together. Like it only worked for the Nats one year in 2019, but it worked. Mm-hmm. So with this, you know, rotation of aces that they've been claiming they have forever, <laughs> Is this year it finally comes together, or do you think, you know, it's going to be more of a well-rounded team with a good offense in, you know, with a good pitching staff? Well, to me, the offense is the bigger strength than the starting pitching, because I think the offense is really good, because they have, like, 
seven or eight uh seven or eight hitters in a lineup that you could call like above average basically mm-hmm. but and with the star rotation what they've what their problem with stars have been the past few years is they've had like good five star like a good set of five starting pitchers it's the guys that come up when uh, a starting pitcher goes down like their six through nine starting pitchers are just not major league quality whatsoever that's what I thought they did different this year whereas okay so we're down two stars to start the year David Peterson was like uh, one of their top picks or whatever he's gets slotted into the four I think he's a good depth piece and Joey Lucchese had um an ERA like in the fours or like about average in 2019 compare that to someone like Walker Lockett who's not even in the majors right now I think as our sixth order of the pass, so I think that's really the difference. Yeah. yeah. And speaking of the lineup, um, my bold prediction for the season last year is that Pete Alonso is going to hit 30 home runs. It is safe to say Pete Alonso did not hit 30 home runs in 60 games last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think he had like an 820 OPS. Who Who is Pete Alonso? Because in 2019, he had an unreal season, then last year he was sluggish. What do you think you're going to expect to get from Alonzo this year? Well, Pete set the bar too high in 2019, honestly. I don't think he's ever going to hit 50 home runs again in his career. But I do think he's like a 35 to like 40 homer guy at best. Like even last year, like his on-pace numbers, he was on pace for 40 home runs. Like I think like I think his struggles of his sophomore year are a bit exaggerated because of the whole 60 game thing. It's like some guys were just getting hot at like the end of the season. We'll just never know what they would have done. But I think Pete's going to be a good player. Yeah, so, you know, sticking with Pete right there, Polar Bear, good nickname or bad nickname? Uh, once you get, get a nickname like that, it's hard to, like, throw it off. I guess you got to lose weight maybe, but yeah, you can stick with it. It makes it look cool. Yeah, this is true, but I, I just wasn't sure if that was, like, it, like you know, uh, switching gears a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm a Wizards fan, and they call Bradley Beal Panda, which I think is a dumb nickname. So I've I, never in my life heard anybody call Bradley Beal Panda. So yeah, that might just be a DC look, thing. Yeah, look at the Wizards, you know, uh, Instagram or whatever. They use panda emojis for him, which I don't know where, where that started. Maybe I'm just, like, missing the joke. But I just wasn't sure how Mets fans felt about Polar Bear because, I, I don't know, Ryan, have the Nats had any, like, nickname guys? Um, Their social media account does those really bad ones that are, yeah. like, really cheesy. Like, I saw Schwarberger. And I wanted right. to unfollow and block them. Oh, but. <laughs> and then for Key Boom, like, they were trying to make it th- that a thing where they used the key emoji and then, like, the explosion emoji back-to-back, so it would be, like, Key Boom. Like, they do dumb stuff uh, like that. I remember Tony Two Bags with Anthony Rendon. He had 39 doubles, and they called him Tony Two Bags. It was even, like, <laughs> top five in baseball. I was like, all right, come on. <laughs> no, I think the worst Mets nickname given out, it never caught on because he was always injured. Uh, Steven Matz got called Iron Matz or whatever, like in 2015, 2016-ish. And it's like, that was like a horrible nickname because the guy was always injured. He can't be an Iron Man nickname. So It's also going to be super weird to see Steven Matz. I think he's on the Blue Jays now. Yep. Um, like, he's I, – I know people talk about that with, with Noah Syndergaard, like the what-ifs. But Steven Matz was always that for me because he was like – uh, in 2015, he was like the fifth starter, but he was had so much potential. And then it seems like he was like always around, always around and never hit that. And then I think he was out mm-hmm. of the bullpen at one point. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the guy where I'm like, oh, it's going to be super weird seeing, you know, him in a different uniform, even though he, he never was all that great. 
but um, he, he was incredibly inconsistent, and they did a good job like shipping him out this off season because he only had one year of control left. To whereas, okay, he has one year of control. He's a DFA candidate, like April eighteenth. You cut him for nothing. Instead, they got like three different players for him that they have for however so long. Yeah, that's a perfect segue to my next point, and that's Sandy Alderson because he was mm-hmm. with the previous Mets regime. regime and now he's back with this, you know, quote unquote, new culture, new Mets. I mean, what's your opinion on that? Because from an outside perspective, it looks like Mets are going to keep being the Mets. Like we, we have a segment on our show called Keeping Up with the Mets, just because <laughs> that's literally, you know, how it's always been with them. And it seems like Sandy Alderson was a big part of that for a long time. I, I, don't, I don't really have any ill will towards Sandy in terms of free agency or anything. Because I do think a lot of that was like his budget wasn't always where it needed to be, like, like the like people got Sandy Alderson built built most of the 2015 team, and the Mets started to get worse when he first went down with cancer, and I don't think he was involved as much like post 2015 when like they let guys like Daniel Murphy walk, and they signed they trade for Jay Bruce, they um a bunch of other stuff that just didn't make much sense, and that's what really did did the team in, mm-hmm. but. I don't really hate Sandy too much. Like, could he be better? Sure. But I do think that they, he also got screwed hiring Jared Porter, which I, I don't know how much of that to blame on him. But I do think he's going to hire someone smarter to be a GM, like a protege next offseason to like, have the reins going forward. Maybe Dub. I, for one. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. Jared Porter is a horrible human being, but in one month as a GM, he did better than Brody Van Wagen ever did. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I don't know, man. Letting letting Daniel Murphy walk, I, th- I think that was him, was a pretty good decision. It, it, <laughs> that wasn't even a Sandy decision either. That was an ownership decision. Well, he was the Nats' like eighth pick for second base that year, and it worked out pretty yep. well. <laughs> um, so just want to get your take. How do you think the NL East is going to shape up this year? I think it's going to be the best division in baseball. So kind of want to hear your thoughts and then how, as a Mets fan, you look at the Nats. Uh, I think one and two, I think any order you want, either Braves or Mets, I'd, I'd be surprised if either one of those two don't win a division. Um, my my hot take is I said I don't think the Marlins are going to be a last-place team. I think they're going to be a fourth. And I think one of either the Phillies or Nats will be in last place. And I think it's going to come down to which team has more injuries in that regard. But it could be the Nats because they don't have much depth outside of their top three starters. But That's for it damn could not true. be. Yeah. I mean, I think the Nats are – uh, kind of a, a easy candidate for that to happen, just because, like you said, they're so top heavy. I think the mm-hmm. Phillies were like that forever, but it seems like you know, especially with their starting pitching, they've done a great job of you know filling in those four or five guys and those guys that can mm-hmm. step up. Whereas the Nats have no one. I mean, if like Lester, you know, was dealing with some stuff, and if he's not ready, I mean, who the hell steps into that four spot or that five spot? You also so, got to remember, like, what if John Lester's just not good? <laughs> Which I, I I don't think he is. But, you know, <laughs> that, that's, a, that's another argument or another story. But I mean, I'm not gonna pick the Nats to to be in fifth, but would I be surprised? No. Um, but if you know the Mets do find themselves in the postseason which I, I think is everyone's expectations, or at least it's not a stretch. Uh, you'll have to, you know, beat the Padres and maybe another another sleeper team if, you know, you don't win the division. 
um, what would have gone right for the Mets to, you know, make the, the postseason? I know you said that the lineup is a big strength now, but what's going to pre- prevent them from, you know, hitting their goals? Uh, if they make the playoffs, it would mean that their offense is somewhere within the top 10. Their rotation, their pitching-wise, they'd be top 10 in offense and pitching. It's offensive starting pitching, and their bullpen would be middle of the pack-ish. That's just for them to make the playoffs. If for them to miss, I think they'd have to have at least two more pitchers go down and, like, just some other injuries, like maybe, like, a center field injury. Like, just a bunch of stuff that has to go wrong for them. Which, um, as we've seen with the Mets... It could happen to yeah, the Mets, Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. I, but I do happen. think they're better prepared in this year compared to last in terms in terms of depth, so... Yep, I agree. So, on the pod, I love hot takes. Hot takes and bold predictions is my absolute favorite thing in the world. If you could do one for the Mets and in Elise, I know you said the Marlins coming in fourth, um, but one hot take and bold prediction from the Mets and the NLEs. Ooh, one hot take? Okay. Uh, Taiwan Walker finishes the year with a better ERA than Trevor Bauer. <laughs> That'll be my hot I take, I guess. I love it. That was a vendetta <laughs> pick right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, and a uh, bold prediction, uh, Dom, Dominic Smith is actually an average left fielder in terms of defense. I like it. I like it. I really, I really like that Taiwan Walker one. That that is absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Um, yeah. So we like to end all of our interviews with a fun question. It's our way of just saying best friend of the pod. Hashtag best friend of the pod. Um, Syracuse is pretty hot right now. I think Arkansas is winning. With everyone left, who do you think's winning the tournament? Oh, I, I Gonzaga. I think it's just their year. I think they're the only good team in college basketball, honestly. Yeah, it seems like, you know, it, this was the year that anyone could, you know, really win, and that actually includes Gonzaga because we always see them go, you know, one loss, two loss, or whatever, and get bounced before they even hit the Final Four. But like like you said, this is kind of the year where, like, they're still good and everyone else is like, who knows? I mean, Duke didn't even make the freaking tournament, mm-hmm. and UNC already got bounced. So you know, those staples we are used to seeing aren't really the, the same. So I agree. I think it is Gonzaga's year. I, I had them, you know, coming out of their region. I think I had Michigan winning just because I'm a big Juwan Howard believer. But mm-hmm. w- w- we'll see how they do. Yep. <laughs> well, um. <laughs> Sorry, I got, I got distracted by TV. I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> uh, Phil, wanted to thank you for coming on. It was fantastic to interview you. Um, I wish a great season, except for April 1st to the 4th. I think that's how long the first series is. Yep. Series is. Yeah, so except for then and all the other times the Nats and Mets play, wish a fantastic season. If you guys don't already, make sure you follow Phil on Twitter, <laughs> at MeekPhil underscore. Phil, love to have you back on. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me on. Good luck to you. Yes, sir. Once again, thank you so much to Phil for taking time out of his day and during the middle of some college basketball games and talking with us. It was a fantastic interview. If you guys do not, you can follow him on Twitter at MeekPhil underscore. He also tweets a ton of bangers, so even if you're not a Mets fan... 
Like he is one of the best accounts on Twitter to follow because I followed him before I even realized who he was and how big of a Mets fan he was. Um, and but it was also cool because you know sometimes we forget we're just three fans who started a podcast, so it was cool to talk to you know a Mets fan as well and get that same perspective and how he feels about the Mets. So that was really cool. Yeah, and um, Jeff Passan also follows him, so it's like the biggest flex in the history of Twitter. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's better than us, and he was yeah. on our pod. So. Yeah, absolutely. That is a big, big flex. I'm, I'm jealous right now. I have Twitter envy. I'm not gonna lie. All right, so let's talk Mets. But my favorite Mets fan was my late grandmother, who was a diehard, lifelong Mets fan. She's, um, she grew up and lived her entire life in New York. So, um, I hope Nana's listening wherever she is to this one. She'd be happy to know we're talking Mets. So. They are much improved, obviously, from where they were a year ago. And uh, there's a whole lot of interesting questions about this team. Most of the projections are picking them to come second in the NL East, which is a bit of a, a buzzsaw, to borrow a phrase. Um, let's start talking about pitching. What do you guys think? Where, do, where does this, this rotation rank in the NL East and in the, the National League more broadly? Yeah, we, we yeah, talked so- about- Oh, God. Sorry, Ryan. No, it's 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 the phone thing, man. I'm sorry. I'm like half a sec. I'm like half a second behind. I'm like answering questions, but it's like it picks back up. Um, no, nah, you're you're good. You got it. You got it. Um, I was just gonna say we talked about it uh, in the interview with Phil. You know, the Mets and the Nats have oddly enough had similar strategies and teams. Um, you know, they are like the flip side of the, that coin. You know, one being um, Matt Harvey and Steven Strasburg, that's going to be one for the end of time. The Mets got to the World Series, but you could argue Harvey burnt out and Strasburg was held back and, you know, and that's finally won theirs with him at the helm. Um, but the Mets have always had good pitching. You know, from that 2015 run, you know, every year since then, even though they haven't been nearly as competitive, their team has been built on pitching. It's, you know, at first it was Matt Harvey, then it kind of transitioned to Noah Syndergaard, who's still around, and, well, I guess not this year, but obviously now Jacob deGrom, who's the best pitcher in baseball, who was the third best pitcher at that time, and just crazy to think about how good that rotation could have been. And then now you add Marcus Stroman and a couple other young guys that are looking very good. Cookie Carrasco comes in over from the trade, and they still have phenomenal pitching, but now they have the lineup to kind of support that pitching. They, you know, when got Francisco Lindor, they have great young pieces in J.D. Davis, Jeff McNeil, um, Michael Conforto. Uh, it's on and on. They went and got James McCann. So, um, you know, that, that pitching staff has always been a strength, and it will continue to be. They're one and two. I guess right now Strowman's are two. But they're one and two can stack up with any one and two in the NL East, even the Nats. Um, especially if you catch them on their good day. So they are legit. I know, you know, we, we love to keep up with the Mets, keep up with the Mets and make fun of them. But I think this is a year where they have to be taken seriously until that time where we can laugh at them again. And it will come. It always does. It does. But for right now, you know, we don't want to be eating our words too much. No. And it does feel like, you know, Steve Cohen buying the t- it. It feels like a new day has dawned for the Mets, like things just feel a little bit different with Cohen in charge. Although I have to say the, um, the epic troll by Trevor Bauer of Mets 
nation right before he signed with the Dodgers might be among my favorite things that's ever happened in history. Yeah, we talked about that too. And uh, Phil was not, <laughs> he did not pull any punches when talking about Trevor Bauer. He's uh, his bold prediction, as you guys have heard, but for Amanda who hasn't listened to it yet, he predicted that um, Taiwan Walker would have a better ERA than Trevor Bauer this year. <laughs> wow, sir. that is a hot take. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it too. I love bold predictions. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, Trevor Bauer's a douche. I think that's pretty well established at this point. But for if you're not a Mets fan, that was some funny crap. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> All right, what are your thoughts on Mets pitching, Ryan? So Nick kind of really hit it on the head with them. When healthy, this rotation is fantastic. When healthy, they are the best rotation in the base um, in the NL East. When the Nats are healthy, it's them and the Mets. Jacob DeGrom gives them that extra punch right now, and we talk about it with Phil, they're not healthy right now. So their biggest question is going to be, can their pitching depth withhold them? The thing about the Mets, though, um, as they infamously said a couple years ago, they had nine MLB-ready starting pitchers, and then their rotation was terrible after that, was said. But they do have good depth, so they are going to be good. I think their rotation isn't going to be as elite as everyone expected to be out of the gate just because of the injuries. But once, you know, summer comes around and Thor is back, that rotation is going to be pumping and that is going to be a very hard team to beat. They're going to be a challenging team. I still don't think they're up to the Braves level, even with all this pitching, but they're going to be good. I mean, just think about it. Like we we've seen it uh, plenty of times where, the Nats get caught in a weekend series or just a series in general where their three, four, five are going. So it'll be Corbin. In this case, you know, if everyone's healthy, it'll be Corbin, Lester, Ross. The Mets three, four, five is better than that. And, you know, even their one, two, even if we do get a turn where Max and Strauss, you know, pitch, if the, if the rotations line up and the Mets have their one and two, you're still going against the best pitcher in baseball and Stroman probably, what, top 15-ish. So no slouch in in his own right. So it, it's tough. Like, the Nats are very clearly built on pitching. That's no surprise to anyone. And if the Mets can go toe-to-toe with him, then obviously it should come down to the lineup. And the Mets have a huge advantage in that regard. They don't – I mean – I don't know how everyone views from Francisco Lindor except Ryan, but you know, they don't have the Juan Soto, but they have a well-rounded lineup, whereas the Nats do not. And again, that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. So, you know, if we're just going straight head to head, the, the Mets definitely have advantages in several areas uh, over the Nats. And it just always comes down to health with the Mets. I feel like every offseason we're like, I mean, if they're healthy, th- then that, that's the case with everyone. I mean, look at the Nats right now. If Max is healthy, if Strauss is healthy, if Lester is healthy, if Ross can rebound after a year right. off, like that's the case with everyone, not just. You know, no, it is. It always is. It just Mets. seems like the Mets, I guess because of the track record where they always seem to have a bunch of injuries that right. set them As, back. And, and especially with like Cindergaard and then yeah. Stroman last year. And yeah. who I think is, due, is eligible to come back like late May. So you can expect to see him back probably, you know, right at the end of May or early June. And if he's himself, then, I mean, that's obviously a massive boost for their rotation, but yeah, I think he was hitting 96. I saw somewhere in the last couple of days, he was throwing a side session and was hitting 96. So it seems like he's well on his way back. 
But I don't know. I mean, again, if they're healthy, it just always seems every offseason like the Mets are so intimidating and then something goes wrong. So that could just be bad luck or it could be, I don't even know what it could be. But if this is their year, they're definitely a formidable team and particularly when it comes to their starting pitching. Yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, health, obviously, but you can attribute that to all teams. It's, um, you know, can they get out of their own way? And a lot of that is, you know, culture and chemistry and, you know, just meshing like the Giants in the early 2010s when they won not one, not two, but three World Series. They were never the best team in baseball. They got hot at the right time and they had a great core that played well together. And that still matters in, you know, in baseball. We, we see that, you know, I think basketball is the obvious one, hockey and, and, you know, especially football too, with the ability to take over a game by yourself. But, you know, it still matters in baseball. And with the Mets, there's been so much drama, not even with on the field play. Like last year, Jonas Cespedes disappeared mid-season. He just yeah. disappeared. So you have stuff like that going on. And I understand, you know, it's a, quote unquote, new era with ownership, but it takes time for that stuff to, you know, go away. Just look at the Washington football team. Um, So, you know, it it takes time for that to, you know, get on track. So is that this year? Certainly could be. They have great pieces in place. And, you know, Francisco Lindor is a guy that can do it. You know, he's been to the World Series as well. So it's not like he lacks experience and, and, you know, isn't seasoned in his own right. So it's a matter of, Will it be this year or will it be the, the same type of Mets we've seen in years past? Yeah, I guess only time will tell. But I just always, I guess I start from a default position that things are going to go weird for the Mets because they always do. So if they don't, then, you know, they're they're quite an opponent and somebody that, you know, could very well finish over the Nats this year. I think that most of the smart money is on, if, if you say all things being equal, everybody stays healthy or at least mostly healthy that they're a better team than the Nats on paper. But as you know, you were just talking about chemistry. Like I think you can make that argument for the 2019 Nats team that they got hot at the right time. And, and sure. uh, you know, they had a great core, you know, great group of guys that were enjoying playing together. And, and that does still matter in baseball. So maybe you'll see something like that, but their, their cor- corporate culture to sort of borrow the phrase is not good and hasn't been for a long time. So it almost feels like something they have to overcome as opposed to like, oh, this is a great organization with a great culture and you just have to fit the right pieces into it. It almost feels like if you get the right pieces, they have to overcome the culture there. Yeah. Like Francisco Lindor, for instance, might be overrated, but it's not that he's a bad player and, you know, Peter Alonso could easily bounce back and they have a ton, a ton of great, you know, at worst role players that I wish the Nats had. So, you know, (laughs) it's, the pieces are there, which before you could argue with the Mets that they were lacking the star power. They were lacking so-and-so, the bullpen, whatever. But the pieces are there now, so it's just a matter of can it come to fruition. Yes. Okay, let's talk lineup. You were just talking about some pieces you wish the Nats had. I really wanted McCann. <laughs> yeah, that would have been an upgrade. Um, you know, Pete Alonso kind of can't – I don't know how – I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but he had a great 2019, fell off a little bit last year, but that's not uncommon when you look at baseball. Um, you know, if we're going head-to-head with the Nats, you know, they have upgrades in several positions. Um, you know, it's it's just not much of a competition when you go head-to-head with the Nats, and 
most other teams in the division, unfortunately. And this comes back to what we've talked about so much was so many ifs in the Nats, um, in general, on the Nats, but especially in the lineup. There's a lot of, if this guy can bounce back and if this guy can break out and if this guy can fit into a new role and, yeah, there's a whole lot of that. It's like everything has to go right for the Nats for it to all work. Yeah, like it's it's the ceiling floor argument. Like the, the Mets floor is much higher than the Nats floor. And the Nats ceiling could be just as high as the Mets, but what are the odds? I think the Mets, the odds for the Mets to hit their ceiling is a lot higher than the Nats to hit their ceiling. In my opinion, I could be wrong. I guess, yeah, no, only one way to find out. But this is always fun for the season where everybody argues about all this stuff. And, of course, then the games get played. Yep. Ryan, <laughs> do you have a knowledge to drop on this in, in that regard? With regards to the lineup? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so just looking at the lineup and how they're projected, they're going to have the absolute most annoying person in the world, Brandon Nemo, leading off. And then their heart of the order is dangerous. When these guys are on, this is up there with the Braves for the top part of the lineup in the division. They go Lindor, Conforto, Alonzo, Dom Smith, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, and James McCann. And that two through five is dangerous. Again, I do think Lindor is slightly overrated, but Lindor is also a shortstop who's going to have an OPS well over 850. That deserves it. Pete Alonso was on a 40 home run pace last year, like we talked about in our interview, so he should probably put up 40 home runs again as well. Apparently, Michael Conforto is going to get Big payday from the Mets, and he's pretty good. Um, James McCann's batting eighth. If he was on the Nats, he would probably be batting fifth or sixth, to be completely honest with you. This lineup is good, and this lineup is deep. It's a lineup you look at, and you're like, oh, well, you know, it's not that great. This is a lineup that is going to wear pitchers down, and they're going to put the ball in play a lot, and they're also going to hit a lot of home runs. I do believe they're going to be in the top six or seven offensively. They're going to be good. The biggest thing with the Mets, and Amanda talked about it, is can they not be the Mets? And every single person knows what I mean by saying that. But this lineup is good, and it's a very deep lineup. Yeah, I like that you look at this lineup and you think none of those names really blow you away, except maybe Lindor. But it's also, there's no easy outs there. There's no place where the pitcher can relax and say, okay, I can. You at least recognize every name in the lineup. Yeah, exactly. If you're if you're a casual baseball fan, you probably know most or all of these names. And and, you know, there's no place where the pitcher can go, OK, I can take an at bat or two easy here before I get back to somebody I need to really worry about. And then you're right, Ryan, that does wear pitchers down. You get two, three, four times through this lineup and it, it you know, you're probably not going to have a lot of starting pitchers stay in past three times. Yep. They are going to wear you down. I have them. Oh, man. I'm going to say 91 wins. That's, yeah, that's a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly less bullish than that. I was thinking like 89, 90. That's still, <laughs> just if, because, you're, if you're within two of the three, it's basically the same. Yeah, it is basically. I just feel like the NL East is just going to be so good that I think it's going to hold down win totals for a lot of the teams in the in the division. I say... I say they win 94 games, and they wow. are four games, four to five games back of the Braves. Wow. little All right. teaser there for our we'll, Braves episode. Yeah, we'll, yes. we'll get there next week, but spoiler alert, the Braves are damn good. The Braves <laughs> this, are damn this good. This is true. 
No lies detected. Okay. Well, so um, predictions, thoughts. We gave our win totals. Any kind of general overall, you all based on our win totals, are we all picking them to finish over the Nats? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's I'm, that's if if they don't pull the Mets, which could um, happen. That's like. Yeah, it's it's very possible, you know, just met things happen and they barely get like 83 wins. Somebody but, gets yeah, a domestic violence that. charge, somebody <laughs> pops positive for PEDs, yep. like things could happen. People start it's punching reporters in the locker room. It, Throwing chairs. Cats and dogs yeah. living together. Mass hysteria. Se- sexting reporters, you know, casual Mets things. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's an issue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you guys have any one big thing for us to finish out this evening? Um, I mean, the only thing that's going to be a recurring theme, unfortunately, throughout the at least the start of the season is Nats messed up. They should have added a, a big right handed bat. And that's not a surprise. But, you know, we we're already you know, we talked about it on this episode and we're going to see it. You know, there's going to be a hole in our lineup. Either Trey's going to struggle hitting third because he can't. You know, if Trey gets in a slump, well, what's the best way to get out of a slump, especially for a speedy, you know, leadoff guy? Drop a bunt down for a base hit. There's your base hit. Average goes up. Then you get out of your slump. He's not going to be able to do that as much. So it could be Trey, you know, struggling hitting third. Robles struggling at the top. No protection for Soto. Like, there, there's plenty of things that could go wrong, and I'm not trying to be, you know, back to my pessimistic ways. But... You what know, do you mean back to? I, hey, I'm an optimist now. But uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't think that means what you think it means then. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's a, a you know stretch to say that the Nats messed up. And they missed on, I won't say a golden opportunity, but a prime opportunity within their championship window. Not that, let, let's back up. When I say that, it's not that the window will never be open again. It's not that if they don't win this year, they'll never win again. That's not what I'm saying. Is this, yes or no, a good opportunity to win a World Series? The answer is yes. You have a cheap Juan Soto. You have Trey before extension. You know, you have a great three-headed monster in the rotation. You have your best bullpen, you know, ever since you've been a contender. Is this a, a prime opportunity? Obviously, yes. So why not make that one move to put you over the top? It makes no sense that they didn't do that. You have the the formula. Two years ago, what was the one thing we needed? We needed another pitcher to pair with Max and Strauss. They did it, and they won a World Series. They made that move to put them over, put them over the top. They had that you know situation again this year where they needed that one move to put them over the top, and they didn't make it. So you know, I think they messed up, and I'll drop it until we have to talk about it again you know, sometime during the early part of the season, but it's just frustrating now that we're seeing, you know. The potential effects yeah, of that like, in a lineup, and they're myriad. You, it's not just, oh, there's not the right protection behind. So right, like it's, in, in these spring training games, we're seeing a, a lot of what the lineup's going to look like. We're not going to see, we're not seeing all these, you know, no names starting spring training games anymore. It's pretty much the guys we're going to be seeing every day. So we get a real taste of what it's going to be like. And if Schwarber struggles, what would help, you know, um, keep the ship afloat during that struggle? A big right-handed bat. If, you know, Juan Soto gets hurt, what would help? A big right-handed bat. Like, it just, it's a, a great safety blanket to have, and they don't have right now, so they're exposed. Their weaknesses are exposed right now, 
And it's just frustrating that they couldn't just make that one more move that should have been priority number one. But I'm going to end my rant right there. All right. Well, I'll do my one big thing next, which is completely not about baseball. Um, oh, my God. Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme donuts. You all probably saw this today. Krispy Kreme has announced that if you get vaccinated and you bring your vaccination card to them, they will give you a free donut. They'll do it once a day. They'll do it 10 times a day. They'll do it every day for the rest of the year. You can get as many free Krispy Kreme donuts as you want. I often, when I'm out working, have to go to Manassas, and there's a Krispy Kreme there. And I'm planning on taking great advantage of this. I'm probably going to weigh 600 pounds by the end of the year. So that's my one big thing. Get your vaccine because it's the right thing to do and also because you can get free donuts. That's better than no, 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 no. you talking about a different just, <laughs> just get your vaccine for the donuts. Who cares about the right thing to do? I got it because I knew eventually Krispy Kreme would give me a free damn donut for it. Not a donut, Ryan. As many free donuts as you want for the rest of the year. No, let's see, Ryan, you got you got yours food. because you wanted to say you're one of the first ones to get it. That's true. You oh, wanted to be in right, that dude. in that in, group. I was in the point oh one percent of it. Like that Ryan is the camped out black overnight, food. you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, camped out overnight for tickets and the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's your one big thing, Ryan? Um, yeah, my one big thing is I'm just excited for baseball. It's a really fun time when everyone not named the Pirates or the Orioles is really excited for their season. Um, and it's just, it's just nice. You know, it feels like a little bit of normalcy also with this season's coming, even though it's not really going to be normal. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited for baseball, and I'm excited to watch some meaningful baseball games. And, I don't know, it just, it just feels like it's been, it's been a while. Last year was kind of weird, but, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. That's my one big thing. Yeah, I absolutely, absolutely love opening day. It's one of my absolute favorite days of the year. I look so forward to it. I, you know, obviously we're not all going to be at the stadium this year like we might normally be. But, um, yeah, I am so ready to just be able to flip on my TV every night at 7 and watch some baseball. Yep. Like we haven't been able to do in spring training because Masson sucks. Just I mean, throwing that I out still there won't be able to, but, you know. It is. Well, you could. You just won't choose to do so i mean a cable box is what like you know at minimum 70 bucks a month you know what's free saying it is what it is you could just get mlb tv you're in florida now you could just i'm not gonna be in florida you know once the season starts i didn't know when you were coming back uh yeah it should be also vpns are a thing i didn't say that i didn't say not not that i'm advocating that how dare you i'm a law-abiding citizen how dare you? All right. Well, thank you guys, as always, for listening. We appreciate you. Um, you guys got anything to add before we wrap this up? Uh, check out Matt's article on the site uh, about, you know, the Nats' recent history in terms of starting off the season and how important it is to start off this season strong. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, Monty's article, uh, greater outlining the Mets and all of their additions, departures, projections, all that good stuff will be on the site as well. So if you want to check out the Mets, do that. And then CK has an article on Wednesday with his three under-the-radar AL Cy Young candidates, his NL Cy Young candidates, under-the-radar, that is, dropped last week. So if you need to catch up, do that. All right. That is all great things over at the website, halfstreethighheat.com. So make sure you check us out there. Find us on Twitter. The show is at halfstreethighheat. And the YouTube channel is The Rundown with Half Street High Heat. There's some awesome stuff already out there. And we've got new, you said Lester and Brad Hand. Hand. 
Yes. So we've got some really cool previews. If you haven't watched those videos yet, you are really missing out. They're so well done. They've got tons of information. It's a great way to get to know some of these new players if you haven't really followed them on their previous teams. So do yourself a favor and check those out. And uh, you guys have a good night, and we'll talk in a couple days. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls, so that's the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play We're gonna win today, let's go book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.